that's what you remember, huh? You and me and the X-20 taking off. About four hours up, we black out. And 24 hours later, we end up in a crashed aircraft in the desert. We don't know where we've been or what's happened. Is that right? That's right. Well, now, what's the matter? Isn't that right? There were three of us in that aircraft. You and me and a colonel named Harrington. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. Uh, I hope that you guys made it out of that infinite loop um, of bad things you did to yourself and are back for this episode. Because uh, that would be bad if you're on a ship and you can't get off of it because then you'd not know what we're talking about next. Yes. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I am Paul. Yeah, I'm Kevin. And Kevin, I know you're going to deny this, but we've had a third person podcasting with us this entire time. Oh, do you remember? Do I, you remember Steve? I, I don't Steve remember Steverson. Steve. You don't remember Steve Steverson? I'm, no. I'm like we just we we recorded every episode with him. If you go back, there was three of us in that car that went on that portal at the very beginning of the show. But our Facebook bio only says two. No. All right, that's my, my attempt right. at asking <laughs> our radio drama for you guys tonight. <laughs> All right, uh, the episode is and when the sky was opened, and we've given away part of the episode already. Um, air date uh, December eleventh, nineteen fifty nine. Uh, and this is my, this has been my, my uh, mother load of cigarettes. I've been waiting every episode oh, yeah. to have a cigarette the, count. And this is the Aggressive smoking going on in this. Yes. Like, I don't think there was a cigarette in the last episode. I, I know we didn't mention it. I don't think there was one at all. And this one, it was like everybody. It was like, uh, like Don Draper would have been super happy with this episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was crazy. So air date, uh, December 11th, 1959. Um, I couldn't find uh, any any interesting news about the 11th i found something about the 12th that i feel like uh would be somewhat appropriate for this uh there was a test launch of a titan rocket from cape canaveral that failed four seconds after ignition with the rocket collapsing on the launch pad and exploding no one was injured but that just shows you our aggressive um like need for the space race that we talked about and where is everybody so this is yeah. ongoing with us and we are right in the middle of the space race with this episode. So, um, man, that, that must have been weird watching this episode and the next day seeing that on the news or something, you know? Yeah. And then also, check this out. So, um, number one film it, uh, for this date was, uh, what was it called? Operation Petticoat. And I looked up the information about this. It was a comedy that tells the flashback of the misadventures of a fictional U.S. Navy submarine, the USS Sea Tiger, during the opening days of the United States' involvement in World War II. That's like one week off from what we just saw last week. Yeah. And it was a comedy. Oh. It was a comedy about a, a sub. I mean, I mean, too soon? I don't know. That feels like that would have been like a little <laughs> too soon. 
Um, and then also, I spoke too soon. Mac the Knife's the number one song as of this date, but it's fail. It's 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 going away. I promise. I promise. I promise. No more Mac the Knife. I know. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I looked it up and I was like, "Oh, he lied to me." I, I, well, it's back. <laughs> yeah, would that have been the best joke? I've been like, "Oh, by the way, we're never going to mention the song again." <laughs> um. So, so yeah, like I promise. After that, because I, I looked it up, I confirmed for uh, the next episode, which that air dates like two weeks after this one. Mac the Knife's no longer around. It's not coming back. So nice. there you go. Thankfully, right. <laughs> I actually like, I hate that song. <laughs> I don't even mind that song. Um. Though the next song coming, I'm a big fan of, so I'm excited to talk about it next episode. <laughs> yes, I I, I, I I snuck ahead and listened to it. It's very uh, we'll, we'll get there. That was that was not what I was expecting. So yes. so yeah, that's about all I got for the air date. Other than like you know, said so there were some rockets blowing up and a comedy about a submarine, and and that's that. Yeah, I I couldn't really find much else about it either. I'm glad you found that rocket. Um, so I guess we'll move into the crew. This episode was directed by Douglas. Hayes, who uh, did eight other episodes of Twilight Zone. A few of them are pretty iconic episodes. Um, this is his first of his run with them. So um, some really interesting stuff going on in this episode as far as direction. So I'm excited. Uh, the episodes he did later on, the things he covered in this come back like tenfold. So I'm very excited about that. That's cool. Um, I, did, I didn't know that. I, I just looked up what he did. I saw that he acted in an episode of the Twilight Zone. I didn't know that he directed further ones. Mm-hmm. And I also yeah, saw he that he directed total uh, of nine. Oh wow! And he yeah. would direct uh, the, some segments of Night Gallery. So Serling, uh, uh, you really appreciated him. So he he's had a long-standing relationship with Rod Serling. Well, not at this point, but later. Yeah. Um, and then this was the teleplay was written by Rod Serling, and it was very loosely. I'm going to say very loosely <laughs> based on the disappearing act. A uh, short story by Matheson from 1953 out of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Maybe the story that Sterling read changed after he read it. And they- <laughs> it could have. Uh, <laughs> he goes back to the uh, magazine. He's like, it's not there. I told oh, you. Man, how am I going right to get here. this right now? Yeah. Um, it, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I really enjoyed the short story, but I don't think it would have translated well to screen. So uh, the teleplay, I actually think I like a little bit more, which is crazy. I think that somebody can take a Matheson story and improve (laughs) upon it. Uh, But Sterling does a fantastic job with this story. Yeah, and I and we, we talked about this right before we started recording. We're like we're big, big fans of Richard Matheson. We're not going to get too much into him at this point because, uh, as Kevin pointed out, for like this 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 story doesn't really go with what was written. So we want to celebrate Matheson and his proper light. So when we get to one that's more him, we'll we'll dig into him further. I just know that he's one of my favorite uh, influences. And, like I didn't yeah. even know he influenced so much of the stuff I love in my life until later. You know, so yeah, one of the big guys. Yeah, I, I just I feel like we need to talk about him when there's something that we both feel really passionate, like a story about him. And, you know, like so when we get to one that's more well known or something, or one that we love a little bit more, um, we'll discuss his life and the works that we like about him um, when we get to it. So yeah. the music in this one, which is also pretty uh, pretty decent in this, and it's not stock music for once in a few <laughs> episodes here. <laughs> it's by a uh, Leonard Rosenman. Uh, he did tons of stuff. I was looking through like all the way back to Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean. Um, he did, and then 
the, one of the newer things he did, RoboCop 2. I, I wrote that down. I had I wanted to make sure that you saw that. And he did the scoring for the 1977 film The Car. And he was yeah. nominated for an Oscar for doing the score for Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. I knew you were going to pull that one out. <laughs> I didn't why, ever write it down. Why, would, why um, would you think I'd bring up a Star Trek connection? That is weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, if you've never seen it, Race with the Devil, which has an awesome score. Um, it, it's a ridiculous movie about uh, two couples being chased through the country in an RV by a satanic cult. I know that. I, I don't, I've not seen that, but I think... Maybe it's, it's, just because it's one I, of my favorite movies of all yeah, time. Maybe it's, it's because I know you, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I want to see that now. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And then lastly, I'll mention he did uh, Fantastic Voyage, the score for that, which is a really interesting score. Um, so, yeah, that's as far as cast. That's all I got. Or okay. crew. That's all I got. We'll move on to the cask. The cast. The Man, cask. I cannot speak today. Yes. Um, had a few too many beers. Moving, so. on to the, <laughs> moving on to the flask. All right. All right. Um, Was it one of those right. beers with all the foam in it? Like they were served at the bar? Like, did you yeah, notice, I was like, like, man, that keg must not be cold enough or something. <laughs> it was like all head on that beer. Um, so we got Rod Taylor, who plays Lieutenant Colonel Clegg Forbes. I, I wrote down Glegg. <laughs> I had to fix that. Man, I'm just failing miserably right now. Um, this was Rod Taylor's only Twilight Zone episode, but he was a pretty big actor at this time. Um, most well known for The Birds and the H.U. Wells' The Time Machine. Yeah, and I saw that he his last big role was as of Winston Churchill and Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. So I thought that was yeah, yeah. Cool. I also got that down. And I have to say, he was in uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. I know <laughs> we've had a few connections to that show so far. <laughs> and but, he's, uh, he's Australian, and you, like I know that I just you would not know it. Like he had that whatever that that odd American um, like uh, delivery at this time of like TV and radio. Like he he had that nailed. I did not know he was Australian. Yeah, and uh, on my other podcast, Radio Violenta, we're actually covering Chuck Norris's uh, Code of Silence next week, so <laughs> I felt like I had to bring up Chuck Norris. That's awesome. A little connection there. Um, then we got Jim Hutton, who plays Major William Gart. This was his only Twilight Zone episode, and I didn't really recognize him from anything else. I don't uh, know if you had anything about him. He's father of Timothy Hutton. That's what I got. Uh, who mm-hmm. Timothy Hutton was the the star in the dark half Stephen King, you know, yeah. movie. Which going back to Matheson, King was heavily influenced by Matheson. So not that that not, not that that means anything, but I thought that was interesting. So yeah. all those connections. Then yeah. we got Charles Aidman, who plays Colonel Ed Harrington, who was in one other Twilight Zone uh, episode, and he was just pretty much a pretty big TV actor at that time, just doing uh, little character bits here and there. Yeah, and I saw uh, that uh, in the 80s when they brought back the Twilight Zone for the CBS, in the first two seasons, he was the narrator uh, for that. Um, ah. and then he was replaced, but then that, I thought that was kind of a, a nice callback as well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lastly, the only other person I wrote down was Maxine Cooper, who plays Amy. Um, only Twilight Zone episode, and she had a really small bit role in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and uh, a bunch of other stuff I had never really heard of. And so. I, I got one for you. Girl on the Bar. That was the one at the, at the counter. Um, her name's Gloria Paul, P-A-L-L. Uh, the only thing I want to mention about her is that uh, I guess she developed a television show in early 1955 called Voluptua. Uh, for K- yeah, for KBC TV that caused a furor when it was it was viewed as obscenity, and uh, so they talked about how at the time, um, let's see, her Christian and PTA groups labeled her character corruptua, and they pressured the TV station to take the show off the air. I thought that was <laughs> interesting. A little aside, 
Yeah, I, I can definitely see her upsetting some people with her appearance on TV. <laughs> Even when she pops up in this episode, you're like, damn, yeah. what is that? <laughs> right? It was just like that, there there was some science fiction going on there, and it wasn't the doing with what the show we were watching. Anyway, um, so yeah, I thought that was just a – I like finding these little like random moments. Like what was it for the 16-millimeter shrine? Wasn't there a guy in there that took a swipe at like Errol Flynn? I, there was someone in there. It's like I like finding these little like human moments of like – Wow, I never would have ever bothered to read about that had it wasn't not for the Twilight Zone. So yeah, yeah. Voluptua. But. Voluptua. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's cast and crew. So uh, unless there's something else we don't know about, I, but maybe there was more in the show. We just now it's been removed. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I, I got nothing else for cast and crew. So <laughs> we can move on to the uh, plot here. All right. So let's just uh, yeah, we'll just go to Serling and then we'll go from there. Her name, X-20. Her type, an experimental interceptor. Recent history, a crash landing in the Mojave Desert after a 31-hour flight 900 miles into space. Incidental data, the ship with the men who flew her disappeared from the radar screen for 24 hours. But the shrouds that cover mysteries are not always made out of a tarpaulin, as this man will soon find out on the other side of a hospital door. I like that dramatic music at the end. I always have to keep it because it's like, ah, oh, something's about to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so very uh, interesting episode we got going on here. Um, yeah, so like he said, there are three men who are on board of a spacecraft that uh, disappeared off the radar screen and ended up crash landing in the desert. Um, so we open up on, we got Clegg visiting, uh, what was his name? Um Major William Gart in the hospital, and he seems real confused, real uh, just kind of out of his mind. And he finally asks him, he's like, hey, do you remember Ed Harrington that was on the ship with us? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, it turns out that him and Harrington were released earlier that day. And something happens with Harrington, and he feels like he is going to cease to exist. Um, we kind of go from there. I don't know how far you want to go into it this early. Well, I mean, like, so first I just got to say that I feel like, like, um, I know I'll get to this more at the very, very end in terms of our, our plot twists, but at the beginning of the way Clegg was acting, my, my thoughts of what was about to happen was completely different than what actually happened with the episode. Yeah. It, it felt like he was very out of sorts and very like acting like he was supposed to act like a person. So I'm like, oh, they brought someone back that's pretending to be this guy. And I thought that was going to be the whole story is that there was three of them, but two of them came back as human and one wasn't. And then that quickly went away. So credit to them because like he was like really jittery. And, and then when he said to his friend, he's like, well, let me let me calibrate or whatever he said for a second to the guy in the bed. Like I mm-hmm. thought he was like trying to, you know, reset himself in a way. And I was just, like, I was expecting a whole alien story. Completely not what I was expecting. So good on them. I completely was misdirected. Yeah. Um, I had seen this episode very, very, very long time ago, so I didn't really remember much. But uh, the story I read about maybe a week ago, I I read it right after we recorded last episode, and uh, I had that story in my mind. So I was like, all right, let's see how this is going to play out. And immediately it opens on the spacecraft. I'm like, all right, (laughs) this is uh, this is nothing like uh, the story. Um, I guess that's a good segue to get into the short story. Um, the short story basically has a writer and he has a kind of 
degrading relationship with his wife. They have very little money. His wife's constantly on him to take a job that he doesn't want to take writing for a magazine. And uh, he's trying to shop around books. No one's buying it. No one's buying it. Everyone keeps sending him back. <laughs> At one point, uh, one of the publishers send back the book rejected with like coffee spilled all over it and everything. Wow. It's, it's real depressing. Um, but he ends up going to the bar with one of his friends and meets a girl and they they kind of nothing really happens between the two but he kind of likes the idea of going out there and flirting and everything but he's keeping a secret from his wife um slowly she starts disappearing he's not able to reach her and then the place where she works um they haven't heard of her and he calls his friend that he was going out with that night like hey remember those two girls we met at the bar he's like no so like and then eventually he's trying to get a hold of him that guy starts disappearing people from when he was in the military start disappearing when we reach out so everyone around him slowly disappears and it leads ultimately how this story leads with him disappearing i'm just gonna say it <laughs> but um I, di- I didn't know how to end that without uh giving it away but uh it would be great if you would stopped mid-sentence and then like stop talking and i've been like kevin he's still there like that would have just like, mute. <laughs> that would have um, messed with me. I've been like, oh no, maybe I'm losing it. Yeah. So the whole story is pretty much written. He's keeping a journal, um, just so he can keep his sanity of just keeping track of this whole situation going on, just to keep names and all that. Which kind of doesn't make sense because if everyone in all the records of all these people are disappearing, it, wouldn't it make sense that they would disappear out of the journal too? But that's that's nothing. Whatever. <laughs> um, that's that's actually the the probably the the biggest problem I have with the episode, but also one of the things I like about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's like yeah, it, it, yeah, it's pretty ambiguous about what's going on. They never really explain anything, so you can kind of forget forget about all those little inaccuracies that would <laughs> uh, ultimately hurt a story when you're watching it now. Um, but yeah, it's it's you're reading like journal entries in this that is found in a candy shop. <laughs> so that is, um, that is a weird story. I, I, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's almost, it's almost really dry. Cause it's just him going through, like getting in arguments with his wife and there wasn't really much that would have played on the screen. So if uh Serling would have taken that story and just basically put it on screen, I don't think it would have had the visual flair that this episode does have. Yeah. Um, so, well, okay. My question to you, real quick, and this—I know we're not going to talk about Matheson, but how much other stuff of his have you read? Um, a, a lot of short stories. I, I, I we'd have to go through them one by yeah. one. <laughs> he's had so many. Well, but yeah, I've read quite a bit. But my so he he's very like as 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 great as his ideas are. He's very straightforward in his writing. Yeah. So, like when yeah, you say very, everything's kind of dry, that's yeah. He's it makes it all feel kind of real and kind of mundane until something crazy happens. So, yeah, yeah, that'd be tough to film. Yeah, but this story, I mean, it's it's almost got like a overlaying theme of like if if he doesn't get his writing to be successful, like what is his life worth, and is he just going to disappear? And there's not too much like science fiction to it as we think of science fiction now. Whereas this episode is really, really science fictiony. Yeah, that, that's so. uh, that may, may, that makes sense. So that was more of like a metaphor, and this was more of like a who knows what that, was actually that's the way i took it i mean the metaphor wasn't really heavy-handed or anything you can take it many different ways you know um but that's the way i kind of took it is like scared that your life's not going to mean anything after you're gone you're just going to disappear hmm. 
That's so. interesting because I like later on. I'll get to this too. There's a there's a story, a book that I, I read that has a kind of a similar vibe to it, like what you're saying. But this episode made me think of it, so it's kind of kind of interesting that my mind was kind of also tripping in that direction as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like so ultimately, you know, you got three pilots. Um, you have one trying to convince the other one in the bed. Which, by the way, let's just stop right here. Like they they crash landed in the desert, right? Enough to where the press knows it happened. There's a photo of them on this newspaper that says, "Hey, the three of us are here." Um, but they let the other two guys go with like without a problem. And the other guy's like, "Oh, my leg's broken." It's like we got to keep you extra night. That seems a really fast yeah. turnaround time for letting space guys out. You know, like astronauts back out into the public. That seems like a yeah, really... especially with not much being uh, not much known about outer space at that time. Yeah, it was just like, oh, you're good. Just just make sure you know what. Just make sure you get out there immediately and start smoking and hitting on women. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, go drink, go smoke. You know. <laughs> yeah, it was wow. just a fast. It was a fast discharge out of the hospital. I thought that was kind of bizarre, but that that's just me. Um, yeah. So so yeah. And also, did you notice like the guy in the bed was smoking too? Like, he, he was actually he was asking for a drink. And he was smoking like I just I you know, it's a different time we live in now. I know. But I thought it was just really funny. I'm like, you're in the hospital. You just were in space a day ago and you're yeah, busted you don't, up. You don't know what they've seen. <laughs> <laughs> he needs it. That's true. Um, so, yeah, the whole thing is just then then the, the episode kind of it, it has to let the viewer know that the main character isn't crazy by showing his side of the story yeah. and, and kind of going through and showing Harrington as a real person. And in his experience of what happened to Harrington. And yeah. yeah. And again, we have the really strong teleplay by Serling that just moves at like a breakneck speed getting through the story. So, I mean, there, there's barely a minute to sit and breathe with anything you're given. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like they, the, the two guys get out of the, the hospital, they go to the bar immediately, get those really weak beers that are just like maybe like an inch of beer and 17 inches of foam. Um, and they they try they're trying to hit on a girl, and then Harrington starts getting this like weird like sense of like detachment, and he starts kind of like you know just not like I don't know how you describe it like he's he feels something pulling at him. That's pretty much what he's saying, and he doesn't feel like he belongs or that he shouldn't be there. Um, yeah, yeah. And then so goes, he decides he should go call his parents. So he goes to call his parents, and uh, it, he says that they said that they don't have a son. Which, <laughs> which immediately, uh, our friend Clegg is like, uh, "Well, it's probably just a joke." Like, why? Why? <laughs> that seemed very strange to me to think that that was a reasonable answer because, like you said, they just crash landed, um, let out of the hospital, and he calls his parents. Why would they be playing that joke on him? <laughs> well, you know, Clegg though, like his his two answers in life are. Stiff drinks and everything's a gag. If you notice, like that's his two his two fallback positions of like, oh, you need a stiff drink, or like later on when he's like, this is one big gag. Like he just thinks the whole world's out to make him look like an idiot. I don't know yeah. why, but uh, but yeah, that is his two responses. So yeah, that's a terrible thing. It's like, oh, our son just came back from space. We have no son, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I disowned him for being an astronaut, that'd be a really weird thing to disown like a kid out of the household for. Like, there's no astronauts in my house. You got to be a tax attorney like your your father. No going to space. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's pretty much like. So he watches his buddy like go, like his his buddy disappears, and then so he then is trying to prove to everybody else that Harrington is what was real and existed. And that's where I think things get interesting is watching yeah. reality kind of change around him. Yeah, because you see the newspaper that had all three of them. Now there's 
there's two people in the picture, um, just uh, Clegg and uh, Gart in it. And uh, so it, then he goes home and his uh, girlfriend comes back to the hotel room, which we find out that he just ditched her at the bus station. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that was all about. That was weird. It was just like, I waited for you. He's like, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, there's nothing previously in the episode. She just comes in mad that he ditched her at the bus station. <laughs> She's been waiting. Um, but yeah, this we have one of my, probably my favorite shot of the episode. Um, he starts telling her about the whole situation and everything after she can tell he's upset. And he ends up calling, I, I don't know who it would be, his superior officer in the military or whatever. And he's asking him if he knows anyone by the name of Ed Harrington. And uh, he's like, no, I don't. So he kind of just drops the phone and he starts freaking out again. But there's a there's a scene in this where he kind of he like steps backwards outside onto the patio. And there's all the stars behind him and the stars are all just kind of like twinkling behind him. And it's just like it, it, it leads up to a line later on where he says that someone or something didn't want us to come back. And just like that shot and that line just mixed together in my head just created such a great atmosphere for this episode for me. Yeah, no, that was that was a good shot. I like that. Um and that was also the scene where he realizes that wait, I sent I sent my girlfriend a telegram letting her know that the both of us are going to be there at the bus station. And he so he, go, he goes to grab the telegram and that's when it changes, which I put in my notes here. Um let's see here. Uh, is that the first case of an autocorrected message? That's what it feels like. Like I, like I meant to. It's right here. It's like that's what I wrote. It's like that's not what it says. It's like oh, you know. So uh, I thought that was kind of kind of funny that every time he turns around trying to prove that Harrington was there, every bit is just like is just been rearranged, you know. And and so then he runs off out into the night, uh, back to the bar, which I, I I guess because that's where you last saw him, and then just um, <laughs> I. It's not meant to be funny, but the way he breaks into the bar is kind of funny. Just, just oh yeah, just bursts he just right lunges in. through the glass door and just yelling <laughs> Harrington as loud as can be, you know. And but then I, there's a shot in there I like. It's a nice overhead shot of of him just kind of walking along and saying his friend's name, like trying to will him back into reality. And it's just like his overhead tracking shot in the bar. And I thought that was a really really nice shot. Yeah, there's all the shadows. There's like really sharp contrast of shadows on the wall, like above him and everything, kind of film noir looking. Um, yeah, th- that was that was probably my second favorite. I just like I said the the stars behind him on the patio of the house, um, mixed with that line he says later on. Just I was like, it, it gave me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, though I do want to say when he leaves his house, running away from his girlfriend, he jumps over the like fence in the front <laughs> of his. Uh, yeah, he just leaves out the patio. Yeah. It's the most goofy run after he jumps over it it's just completely flailing himself <laughs> over the top of it yeah he, well he was a little out of sorts at the time so that, yeah. that explains uh, no. like <laughs> it just made me laugh a little bit well because i i had here like when the first time you see him the way he's kind of disheveled when he's in the hospital like when you first see the character he kind of had like this weird like robin williams kind of like an, like you know antsiness about him and I don't know, like, the second time I watched the episode, I'm like, I got this weird kind of, like, you know, little, like, wiry type of, like, look out of him and the way he was kind of walking around and fumbling with a cigarette. I'm like, it made me think of Robin Williams for some reason. I don't know why. But it felt very, uh, like, I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting him to start, like, you know, like, improving, but it was still kind of had that kind of, like, you know, you just didn't know where he was going. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed his performance. I don't know how you felt overall about it. Um, you haven't said whether or not you like it or not. Um, 
I, I thought he was unbelievable. Like, he really seemed like he was coming unglued during the entire episode. Yeah, no, I liked him. Uh, I liked him. I liked uh, even Harrington at the beginning before he, I mean, because he didn't have much to do. Uh, he yeah. he sold that feeling of, like, you know, when he started kind of, like, you know, fading, not fading away, but being taken, I guess, is the really, or rearranged out of reality. I don't know how you want to uh, phrase that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah. pretty ambiguous. Like I said, it could be... I mean, there's basically three options, right? Yeah. It's either the government doing it, aliens, or just uh, some sort of like space and time, yeah, or so, just erasing him. So I bought <laughs> some him. Sort of dimensional uh, <laughs> error. Yeah, it's like someone's like, "Oh crap, we got to take the pencil and an eraser now." Like we made a mistake. We let those three guys go back. They shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I bought him. I even, even though I felt like, um, uh, what's his name? The guy in the bed, uh, was it Garrett, Garrett? Not Garrett. Yeah. William Garrett, Garrett, or Gart, 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 sorry. <laughs> um, even though at the beginning I felt like his, his line delivery was like a little corny, his voice was really good. So it's something about that really, like I liked it, even though he felt very cartoony though, his reaction at the end was, was very, it, it felt very earned. Because he just had his his friend telling him about someone leaving, you know, their reality and not acknowledging it, and then he just witnessed the same thing. So it's like it's just, everything was clicking for him, and the way he did like the Home Alone face, like that, it it was effective. Yeah, and I really like uh, even the three of them. You only get maybe thirty seconds of interaction between the three. Uh the three guys, but they really have a nice chemistry together. They seem like they had been working together for a few years. Yeah, that that definitely did work. And then, so I mean, I guess I guess I just raced to the end here, where uh, you know he sees the newspaper again change after um, you know Clegg uh, is out, and they see like a single guy, like single guy survives crash. You know, and then so like everything starts like it almost like it speeds up at that point where it's like, oh, the, whatever this process is, is, is moving faster now. And then he sees the newspaper and then next thing you know, there's no one there, you know, yep. um, and the, the beds, the beds was, was a nice visual cue to show you that everything was just changing. Well, when he looks at it, it shows just only him survives that yeah. him, it, him, um, it said a uh, lone man survives voyage on a solo mission or whatever. Um, and then he falls back into the bed and then they cut to the nurse and, uh, some sort of doctor coming down the hallway and he's asking if they have any open rooms and she's like, Oh yeah, room 15, which was the room they were in that you can do there and they go inside and it's completely empty. Yeah. So you never see the newspaper with no one in it. Um, last <laughs> I, uh, time that- you see it, it just, yeah, uh, just Garrett in there. That was going to be my question was like, why wasn't there a newspaper that said no pilots were lost on mission, not launched? Like, I wanted to see just a headline <laughs> that was like, everything's fine in space. Nothing happened. Don't look at this. You know, um, I thought there was going to be like a newspaper. It says like uh, three uh, astronauts lost in mission to space or something, you know, uh, or oh, that would have been all cool. died. That would I would. Yeah, it would have changed the story, though, if it said like uh, three men died in a uh, crash of X-20 or whatever, you know. Well, even the ship itself disappears. Like everything associated with that mission was was pretty much gone by the end. And yeah, that that would have made more sense if, like, it said that the uh, here we go again rewriting Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, if it just said that the spacecraft disappeared, yeah, that would that would have been nice. Yeah, so um, them leaving reality, I, I got a strong Back to the Future vibe with Marty having to try to course correct and him looking at yeah, the photo with sure. his kids and has kids his, his brother and sister. Um, so I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, like the whole. 
I really, I really like this episode. I mean, I, um, I, I wish there was a little bit more science in the fiction, but like it just it being very ambiguous. Like your brain can make up whatever you want, and it was more about the character trying to make sense of his friend not being recognized by anybody. So I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I like I said, I got goosebumps when he was talking about someone or something is trying to take them away. Um, and then, like, even the shots of the space, the airplane hangar that had the X. I don't know if they said X two O or. I think it's X twenty. Twenty. I can't remember what. It was. Yeah, X twenty. Um, there's very little special effects in this. I mean, there's nothing basically. Yeah, it's not, like they don't show somebody like disappearing or anything. You know, it's just they're just not there anymore, and it is really effective. Yeah, no, it was um, it it was good. I really I really dug it. Um, uh, and it felt very you know, like not I don't know. It it felt very much like a Stephen King story. And I know I mentioned the dark half earlier, but it felt like it felt very much like a Stephen King short story where you have this whole story. The three guys are gone. The plane's gone. And then Serling's outro narration about how if you mention anything about like pilots of a plane speak in hushed tones, it's almost like there was this eye in the sky that if you knew anything about this this mission, you were going to be removed from reality. And I, that felt very King-like to me. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great closing narration with that, too. Kind of brings the... Um, I, I could see that really working as a child hearing that, you know? Watching this on TV in 1959 and hearing that and be like, oh, not talking about this episode ever again. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, but yeah, I, I just have to say, like, Serling did such a great job bringing the story into the whole space race uh, time period here. Because, I mean, at the like I said, the story was written in 1953. So none of that was really going on yet. But I, I'm sure that people were the idea of going into space you know people are excited there was so little known about it and what was going to happen uh to send it for sending people up there and everything that it's it's i, I this really does work yeah and and so i did a little bit more research because this is what i do um at the time of experimental experimental aircraft um so at the time and i, I we could i could link this on the, the show page later but there's something called the Exper- experimental x13 vertijet that was actually being um, not produced but tested. It looked a lot like the X twenty, like shape wise, from under the sheet, and it was actually the their, the U.S. government's attempt at making a vertical takeoff and landing jet, and it was successful. It's just they never found a practical application for it, and there was like only two produced. And I thought that was interesting that this thing looks very similar to the X twenty, at least in just the the squat triangle shape of it. And that uh, and that one of them is in Dayton, Ohio now at a museum. So oh, interesting. <laughs> I've I've been to that museum. So I've probably seen that plane there. Or, or did <laughs> you? Cool. Maybe it's gone now. We don't know. Uh, but but yeah, I thought that was like so. I started looking into a lot of experimental aircraft, and it's like, and this all I'm 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 guessing that that also caught Serling's attention, um, just in terms of like all the weird stuff that was tr- being tried, you know, being made, you know, and also we're what. Like fifteen years past Roswell, not that that was a big thing at the time, but you know there there may have been still like we were in the the UFO craze, like there was yeah. a lot of those those fifties alien invader movies. So I yeah, I see, mean yeah. that craze went on well into the early sixties, so we're still within that whole period. So yeah, so I mean you could like the the further we go along watching these shows, 
it's like, and I know we talked about production order and when they're written and they don't necessarily match when they're shown, but you, you definitely it almost feels like you're in like Serling's head in terms of all the things he finds interesting. And it's mm-hmm. like you see a lot of these same ideas churn together. You're like, man, he he must have been either like an avid reader or something like in terms of like this stuff because he he has a like a his he's always looking like up in the sky at what's coming next. And yeah, I, yeah. and it's you know like I don't blame him. Like I, that stuff's fascinating, but it's almost yeah. like yeah, it's like taking a look at his uh his backyard and seeing what he's like. Oh, what are you, what are you working on now? You know so. Yeah. Again, at that time, I can I can only imagine how fascinating it was. I mean, you know, some of the stuff that you hear about it and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to the moon, whatever, you know, at this point. But like it it, it was so fresh then. Like, I can't even imagine being around during that time and really uh, seeing all the stuff happen for the first time. Well, think about this. So uh, I, I did a little bit more math here and it's not my strong subject. So deal with me. Deal with this. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, this episode was aired in 1959. First uh, flight was 1903, you know, the Wright brothers. So that was 56 yeah. years between those two points. Uh, moon landing, 1969. It's now 2016. That's 47 years apart from each other. So we're not even as far along from the moon landing to today as they were from first flight to we're just we're, we're now attempting to go to space. So I, I know something about that seems kind of kind of odd to me, like that we're. I, that in terms of milestones, we're still closer to the moon landing than when this episode came out. Than it was closer to first flight. Um, yeah. So I just I, I try to find like uh, you know perception, and I thought something about that just kind of struck me as uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, yeah, I, nothing, I, nothing. Nothing amazing I, there. Just uh, just uh, just random numbers. I thought that was. I thought that was. Uh, no, it's, yeah. it's it's definitely interesting. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of anything else that we haven't covered here. Um. Yeah, I mean, beyond the whole space race thing, there's not really too much else as far as, like, subtext that I really got out of this. Like I said, the the story gives you a few different things that you can look at, um, but he really does take it in a different direction in this. Yeah, so. uh, it, it was good, and uh, I, I really liked it, first time watching it, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh, so yeah, I liked it. So yeah, I have I have really nothing else um, other than the whole idea. Like you said, the short story was about people just like being forgotten out of reality um, or being written out of reality. Uh, there is a book uh, by Douglas Copeland, who uh, he's the guy that wrote the book Generation X that ended up labeling that that generation. Um, yeah, it's his book called Girlfriend in a Coma, and it's all about like this world event that happens where people just start um, just feeling like you know what I didn't, this doesn't matter and they just fall asleep and then they're gone. And like they just like they die on the spot when they fall asleep, and it kind of made me think of of Harrington at the bar, where he had that just like he was like I'm fine, and all of a sudden this kind of hit him of like, you know I don't feel right, and then he just goes yeah. to the phone booth and just pretty much goes away, and it was that quick. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a it's a theme that works very well. I mean, it's been used quite a bit throughout uh, pop culture in the past uh, fifty years. Or so, yeah. So uh, and I'm just trying to give Matheson credit there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, that that will do it. Let's yeah, we'll we'll just go ahead. We'll get to the twist. Okay. You'll be happy to know that I've given us a three, so I'm not being as harsh as I am sometimes. Because <laughs> because I told you at the beginning, I really thought Clegg was from another. I thought he was because the name of the episode is called "And When the Sky Was Opened." So I'm thinking like I'm expecting 
like extraterrestrial in some kind of way here, right? Not yeah. just like reality being whatever it is. So I so I was completely caught off guard. And I know that was in the first like three or four minutes of the episode, but I was really expecting it to go one way. Uh, and I guess because I, I had an assumption of the title and then the seeing his behavior and then it went away. I was not expecting whatsoever. So I give it a three. Yeah, um, I'll give it a three as well, just because uh, once you get going, like you said, there's a little bit of uh, question to what's going on within the first couple minutes of the episode. Once you start seeing people are disappearing, you can kind of it, it kind of telegraphs the rest of the episode from there. And, you know, basically what's going to happen. Um, so it's nothing really mind blowing when it does happen, though it is really solid. So I, I give it a three out of five as well. Yeah. So all right, good episode. If if you guys have not chance to chance to watch it, please do watch it. Um, yeah, it's I, I, a real easy watch. Yeah. Uh, I, I, like I said, it moves at a breakneck speed. So <laughs> once it starts, and, and not like a lot of them really linger on some stuff. But I mean, this it's just like this is like one scene to the next. Yeah, and it was kind of refreshing versus the one we just watched. Where I felt like that, and it, and it purposefully done so, where I felt like a lot of stuff was repeated over and over again. This, even though the name Harrington was said like six thousand times, it didn't keep. It's like it was like we have to get through the story to the end, and I, you know, that felt that felt more more like um, not modern, but it felt it, it's more like I, I appreciated that more than um, the morality play that was the last episode that we saw. Yeah. So, all right, yeah, yeah it was nice. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it, and I like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I, I I like how there's some of these episodes where I'm just like, <laughs> that's basically all I can come to the table with. Like, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes, like, like, like you said, like uh, it sounds like the short story that you read had a lot more uh, subtext to it. This one was more. Like, it, you know, it's almost it's almost like Lovecraftian in the sense of like there's the unknown horror that is pulling away, you know, and it's like that's a very yeah. abstract concept. So how do you how do you analyze that other than just like saying that was weird, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Um, but I really did enjoy it. Like, I think it was highly entertaining um, and not to say I didn't enjoy the short story, though, because the short story is a totally different thing. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely recommend there are a bunch of short story collections of Matheson out there. Um, like I said, when we started doing this show, I just started picking up as much as I could just so I could kind of get my, uh, <laughs> just get my Phil Matheson before we started this. So I would understand what we we're getting into. Yeah. Um, but there's some really great compilations out there. If you guys are looking to get into some of the stuff. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, that that will I think that will do it for the the episode proper. Uh, so, uh, before we talk about the next one, how can people reach us? Um, find us on Facebook. We got Strange Highways podcast on there. Talk about anything Twilight Zone or sci fi related. Um, email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know how we're doing. Leave us feedback and uh, leave us some voicemails or emails about the episodes. We'll read them on air. Yeah, and then also if you guys could be so kind as to uh, go on iTunes and Stitcher and leave us uh, favorable reviews, that would help us so more people yes, could yes. find us, as opposed to them being like, I swear I thought I saw a podcast here and it was never there. You know, like that's, uh, <laughs> I, and it's a, I know, I know, I kick, I'm the kicking the horse. Machine. I don't care, I don't care, I'm going to keep doing it. Um, all right, next episode is called What You Need. Um I, I'll just give you a spoiler right now. I did watch it just a, a, today before we recorded this episode about the, the episode we were talking about. Um, I think you'll like it. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I have not seen this one. Yeah. Um, and again, this is based on a short story by uh, Henry Kuttner. 
So I'm going to try and dig up that short story as well. Yeah. So I, uh, I love I love that these are all based on short stories because it's just like oh twenty pages just knock it out in like a half hour you know yeah just sit down and, uh, so it's just like watching a second episode basically it's nice that's true so like the this morning I was uh I watched an episode of the original Star Trek um, just because I have something else I'm working on and that episode was fifty minutes long and after watching these like twenty twenty four minute episodes of Twilight Zone I'm like halfway through that I'm like is this over yet like what is going on here <laughs> like I just, I, yeah it's Shatner that's great are we oh we're only 30 minutes in oh my goodness like it's yeah something about uh the pacing is a little weirder for for that than this where this is just lean and mean and star trek is like yeah i know they're just gonna stand around and talk for a minute it's fine and yeah my attention span is kind of shot now i'm like i need a 20 minute episode or else i'm not gonna watch it (laughs) so um all right yeah i think that will do it for us this week um yeah so uh, if you you know just if you're if you're part of any uh, government uh, experimental flights, don't tell anybody because you know we we want you to stick around and listen to the show. Yeah, look out for that unknown terror. <laughs> yeah, so keep your eyes on the sky and uh, and just uh, move quickly to shelter. I, I, I have nothing else to say. I have no good no good yeah. jokes there at well, the end. All right, speak softly. <laughs> yes, speak softly. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a man named Harrington, a man named Forbes, a man named Gart. They used to exist, but don't any longer. Someone or something took them somewhere. At least they are no longer a part of the memory of man. And as to the X-20 supposed to be housed here in this hangar, this too does not exist. And if any of you have any questions concerning an aircraft and three men who flew her, speak softly of them and only in the Twilight Zone.